Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Jeffrey Lilly. And I'm Sarah Black. And today we are bringing you uh, yet another innocent victim within the scope of the Salem Witch Trials. We are back to 1692. I feel like we just did this, but then again, we are in prime time for the trials. So the July 19th executions and the August 19th executions. So we are bringing John Willard. Oh my gosh, you almost forgot his name. <laughs> it just went out of my head for John a second. John Willard. No, it's so funny that that just happened because this poor guy, I feel like he gets so overlooked. Yeah. I had posted something to our Instagram, like, guess who our next person right. is that we're covering. Always keep in mind, we do it around the anniversary of their death date. Uh-huh. And so, like, that gives you a very good clue. There's four. There's only there's, four. There's five. Yeah, but we already did one. Oh my gosh, you're right. So there's four. There's only four. There's only four <laughs> possible answers, and no one guessed John Willard. Uh, no oh, well. It's well, so sad. And you think, too, when you look at him in the Salem Witch Trials Memorial, he's like right between John Proctor and Giles Corey. And I feel like when people see Giles a stone, they're just like, oh, pressed to death. Who's the, no one cares, cares about, about uh, that he, guy in the corner? He's first. He's first on or, the right. Yeah, yeah. And he just, I think people just pass right by. It's like you're on the turn, right? So you're going, you don't look at like the last. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. before we get into that, we have, as usual. Tour time. Here we go. Tour what do you got? Time. You got anything? I got, I got something funny. Um, I got something fun. Descendant related. I oh. feel like that's been the theme lately. I had a guy descendant from increase and cotton mather ah. and he was wondering why i didn't really talk about them and You're i was like well i was very honest with them i was like you know increase he didn't really have too much to do and cotton him either i mean he was propaganda mouthpiece for the judges but mm-hmm. and you know he attended george burroughs's execution but i think he skipped the others and you know <laughs> they're just some general white guys that get super recognized throughout the history of the Salem witch trials, we try to talk more about the victims and like the lesser known people. So, and he said the same thing. He's like, that's fair. I, I I respect that. I definitely talk about, uh, cotton Mather, Mm -hmm. uh, because of his involvement with, with Reverend Burroughs, uh, and the King of hell and the wonders of the invisible world. But, you know, and then I'm also highlighting that, he, he had a personal issue. He had a professional issue. It wasn't just this idea. He was bringing all sorts of bias in the conversation. He was utilizing his position of authority to torment people and all these things and how that affects the, the scenario. Mm. You think he was tormenting people? This, this situation, not like on a one-on-one basis. Okay. But like, see, I think he gets made out to be a bigger bad than he actually okay, was. Okay. I see him as kind of like a wimpy, young, up and coming wannabe minister, but trying like from, to fill from the, the shoes of his. Yeah, yeah. I think he had more power in the pen, okay, than he did in his presence. But I'm also making this assumption. Three hundred thirty-one <laughs> right. years later, so. That's fair. Without ever yeah. having met him, so yeah. who knows? He might be a commanding person. I don't I know. I don't think so. He was always described as sort of, uh, he always had like chest colds and was always sort of oh, like. Oh, see, there you go. Yeah, which is one of the reasons that speculatively he didn't like Reverend Burroughs because Reverend Burroughs uh, was sort of stocky, Large athletic. and in charge. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, uh, yeah, he liked the women. Picking and, up the barrels with right? his thumbs. Yeah, he's like, in the bung holes. Yeah, and Cotton Mather's like, <laughs> help me, sir. 
friends, go back and listen yeah. to the George Burroughs episode. <laughs> That's a year ago. But yeah, so I met a, a descendant of theirs. I, you know, like I said, I've been getting a lot of cool descendants lately. And this one, I've only met one or two people that can connect to the Mathers. And it's who, always who a- Admitted. F- exactly. <laughs> yep. It's always a fun time. And then also, this is something that I completely have been forgetting to mention. And it's not tour related, but it's uh, descendant related. Someone reached out to me online and was like, hey, have you ever heard the rumor that Abigail Williams is buried on Mackinac Island? And so I'm sure a lot of people in the Northeast have no idea what that is. But if you're in the Midwest, especially in Michigan, it's on your way up to the UP, the Upper Peninsula. There's that island that's just off the top of the mitten. And supposedly there is some theory that she is buried there. I think there's even like a headstone or something. Yeah. it's And I've, I think I've heard whispers of this before. Isn't that bizarre? Okay, so that, bizarre. That, that has to tie in to what I have to tell you. What? No. <laughs> Get out of here. Nuh-uh. I, I had some uh, people on my tour the other day who uh, hail from the same uh, geographical region oh, as you do. Michiganders, hello. From Salem. Michigan? Yes. I didn't know we had a Salem. <laughs> Get out of town. I had no idea. Yeah, it's a township with like... We have a hell Michigan. I knew that. Well, maybe they're not. No, <laughs> they're not next to each other. Uh, but yeah, they're from Salem, Michigan. No way. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. And... Uh, I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. And they're like, yeah, they say that, like, the people fled the witch trials to... Get out of here. I don't <laughs> I don't believe that. And, and I was like... <laughs> that's a really far way to flee. And I was like, I don't... I don't know for certain, <laughs> but I think you're wrong. <laughs> Did you really say yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm being honest. And, and then so I, I, I look it up on my phone. I Google uh, uh, Salem, Michigan. It's this small township. And it was established or founded in 1845 or okay, something. Okay, there we go. And I was like, so we're off by a little bit here. <laughs> um, wow. I, I, I'm just, I'm not saying that you're completely wrong. There's literally Salem's everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. But I'm just like, I don't think that. The trials ended in 1692, and in 1840, the people who found it. And then I looked, and it was like a mill guy who like established like a trading post, and then that grew into into whatever. Oh, that's so um, funny! But they were probably so bummed. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, they're like, that's just what we've heard, and I was like, I, that's that's what it is. But who knows? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe Abigail Williams, Williams made it all the way. Founded Salem, Michigan, and then made it to Mackinac Island where she was buried. Oh, that's so bizarre. Oh. So who knows? You know, if anyone's got any more concrete evidence yeah. to support this theory, I would love to hear it. So that was my fun little, little and I can't believe you said it tied in. That was great. That was Weird. cool. Spooky. Yeah. This is Salem late night. Ooh. Salem pod late night. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. I don't For, know. For those who don't know, and obviously, why would you? Because you're not in the room with us. But we are recording in the evening, post-tour, with ectoplasm next to us. And and in our bellies. It's one of those types of nights. Yeah. So let's head into the life of John Willard. We got, we got something first. Oh, what do we got? So I think, I think we missed something, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. 
with uh, mass hysteria. Oh my gosh, are you about to bring up the tunnels? Yes, I'm about to bring <laughs> How up the How did we tunnels. forget to bring up the tunnels? I don't know. You guys, go watch that movie. Our most recent episode, <laughs> Mass Hysteria, we did a review. So entertaining. Or is it two episodes two ago? Two episodes ago. Two episodes ago. Um, and yeah, the references to the tunnels are hilarious. There's like five or six of them. And the jokes are awesome. There's this one guy's like, oh, we can go through the tunnels. Oh, the tunnels. I'm like, shut up. The tunnels aren't real. He's like, oh, the tunnels. And they call the, them no, They're tunnels. like the witch tunnels because it's where the witches escaped. And he's like, okay, first of all, the witches, they weren't actually witches. Second yeah. of all, they didn't escape. <laughs> they died. <laughs> and then like towards the end of the movie where they're like the 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 end scene, they're like, Cook. and he's like, look, the tunnels. I told you so. And oh, like, it's so good. I can't. How did we forget to talk I about the tunnels? I don't know how we forgot to bring that up. <laughs> but please, if you haven't already, go watch Mass Hysteria. Only takes a, about an hour of your time. Yeah. And you can watch it on Tubi for free. And again, no tunnels. No tunnels. Yeah, I was like, that hit me, and I was like, oh my gosh, how did yeah. shit? People said things to us actually. Yeah, yeah. I was like, how did you forget to mention the tunnels? They're like, well, because, oh my gosh, I was on tour, another tour. Time. Whoever, whoever I'm addressing at the moment, uh, I appreciate you, and uh, I'm not sure who it was, uh, but clearly they listen to the podcast, uh-huh. and I'm on tour. And uh, we're talking, and this guy was like, oh, hey, you know, thanks, you know, uh-huh. wave. And he's like, ask him about the tunnels. Oh, I love when people say and that. I was like. I love when people say <laughs> that, just for fun. Yeah, yeah. And then so they were like, so, what about, and I got all the way at the end. The woman's like, so what about the tunnels? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, that's fun, though. It's fun to yeah, talk about. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was fun. It's fun to dispel. All right. Now can we talk about yes. John Willard? Yes. Cool, because I think, again, one of the most overlooked stories, no one really cares about him, but so fascinating. I'd say this about all of our our subjects. They they are really, I mean, people are interesting in general, Um, but I I appreciate John Willard here. I also uh, very much, I find the men in this scenario, in the Salem Witch Trials, fascinating, because it's it's an anomaly within the scope of, of the general concept of witch and witch hunts in, in Europe. And, you know, you typically really don't ever get men. It's, you know, women who are targeted. Women definitely make up the vast majority. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think when you look at the men, when it comes to Salem, all of them have very unique circumstances and very, I don't know if vibrant is the right word, but dynamic. But like they, you have Reverend Burroughs, yeah. like he's a reverend. He's the king of hell. You have John Proctor, a wealthy tavern owner and a well-respected community member. Mm-hmm. Um, George Burroughs also, or sorry, uh, George Jacobs, very mm-hmm. well-respected, well-established and John Willard, a constable. So it really speaks to like all the other social economic issues going on here it wasn't just like a, i mean it is real religious fervor but there's all the other the the terrain of the environment for the past two decades and the issues and the conflicts and the personal grievances all really come to light with the men that are accused and no one is safe yeah absolutely no one is safe yeah. so john willard is uh executed on august 19th and we are recording this on August 17th. Yeah. The episode will drop if you're listening to it right when it drops, just a couple days after his anniversary. On the 22nd. Alongside four other innocent individuals. Yes. 
John Proctor, Martha Carrier, George Jacobs, and Reverend Burroughs. The King Queen of Hell die ah, yes, yes, yes. on the same day. And then That is quite the lineup right there. Yeah. Yeah. And this is four men and one woman, which is also a little the one of the only times it's really skewed that way. And a lot and well respected men once yeah, again. Yeah. So we really see those like social dynamics coming into play, which you're going to hear a lot about in the next hour. Mm-hmm. So if we jump all the way back to the beginning, we don't know too much about John Willard's early life, birth date, birthplace, pretty much unknown. So sorry, don't know his sign. We, uh... Oh, <laughs> bummer. Yeah, I was like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not there. His okay. horoscope sign. If, yeah. uh, if you guys yeah. haven't, if this is your first victim you're <laughs> listening to victim profile but we do know that he was probably around his mid to late 20s at the time of the trials uh, based on the information we do have about his family and his movements so probably born between 1663 and 1666 this also makes him the youngest of our trial victims Mm -hmm. by quite a bit where is uh where is he from Ah, no, Jeffrey. Let me ask you, where is he from, Jeffrey? He's from Groton. Yes, he is. Or from Lancaster Lancaster. and then moved to, I think that might be the case. Yeah. So we know he lived in Groton uh, when he was married. He might have been in Lancaster before that. He also had land in Lancaster. Um, And for those of you who sort of don't know what I'm talking about, A, I'm from Groton. Uh, So that's cool. Um, If he he doesn't mention England, he mentions Groton. (laughs) Or Canada. (laughs) Um, Oh, yes. How could it for? Oh, Canada. Uh, It's about 45 minutes west of here uh, by car. But Lancaster and Groton were much, much, much bigger than they are today. And much like more foresty. Like we're talking frontier territory. I mean, all of it was, but compared to today. I think Lancaster here I have Lancaster, Harvard, Bolton, Berlin, Sterling, Boylston, and West Boylston. Made up Lancaster. Wow. Yeah. And Groton's going to be uh, Groton, Pepperell, Ayr, Shirley, Dunstable, part of Westford, part of Nashua, part of Chelmsford. That's huge. Yeah. Groton's huge as it is. It's one of the biggest towns in the States, about 30 or 40 square miles. Wow. Like today. Um, so it was huge. So when you're like, oh, he was from Groton or Lancaster, you're like, okay. Those like the size of Rhode Island. You could like throw. Yeah. Anywhere <laughs> on the map. Yeah. You're probably going to land in it. Um. But yeah, so that's where he's from. Yep, so he's from your hometown. Yep. Could have been living in your backyard. I mean, it's distinctly possible. It is possible. Yeah. He was described as a, quote, black-haired man of average height. And uh, one of our favorite early historians, Charles Upham, um, from the 19th century, wrote, John Willard, quote, appears to have been an honest and amiable person in industrious farmer having a comfortable estate with a wife and three young children. I think that's very generous of him to write because there was definitely some some issues going on. I don't know if I believe it. I was going to say life wasn't that rosy Mm. from the, from some of the testimony we see in the trials. I don't, I don't know if I believe it. Got to take Charles up like at face value. Yeah, but no, 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 no. I don't believe some of the testimony. Oh, like you mean like all the issues in the family? You don't think that they were actually happening? It just seems. And that maybe his life was just fine and they're the ones that are out to get him? Hmm. Man, 
Okay. The the actions of his wife speak otherwise. Speak otherwise. I would agree with that. And we don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll we get don't there. We'll know. get there. We'll get there. As I'm as I'm casting doubt on it. Yeah, we're not even in Salem <laughs> Village yet. Yeah, yeah. So up in Groton and yep. Lancaster area, there was a pretty prominent Willard family presence. Yeah. One guy in particular, Major Simon Willard, was actually the founder of Groton. He is credited it as, you're making a I, face I, I, at I saw me. that. I, I, I looked in a couple other places. I'm, I'm not sure if that holds up, but. Well, it's also, is it like a situation like Roger Conant? I mean. Uh, it seems as though there were like uh, some tinkers and shops there first um and then he sort of came in so there was already a, a settlement there okay. so, so a little bit like salem and then he seems to have done that he definitely is one of the founders of concord okay um but it doesn't seem i'm not a hundred percent sure if he's a founder of groton um maybe, maybe. Yeah, in yeah. some ways he is considered to be <laughs> i will i will check on that for everyone next time i go home either way he was a very, this this major Simon Willard was a yeah. very successful land speculator, community leader, and uh, the patriarch of a very large, successful family. And John Willard owned about 30 acres near Major Simon Willard's brother. So there's been multiple attempts by historians to connect these two. Like, was John Willard a part of this wealthy, powerful family. There's a pretty good chance, but like no one really... Even a nephew or a cousin yeah. or, or something. No one really knows definitively yeah. how they're connected, but uh, it's but they, likely that they're related. Yeah, if you got people the same name, live in the same area at the same time, Yeah, especially here, it's not like, you know, you're over in wherever else. It's There's not a lot of people here. Um, now he does move to Salem Village. Yes. And marries a woman by the name of Margaret Wilkins. Oh, a so, Wilkins. Yeah, so, so <laughs> this happens sometime, we don't have a marriage date, but sometime before 1690, and they would go on to have three children together. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, you the Wilkins, these are... Yeah, so he moves, again, Salem Village, so that's not where we are. We Remember, we have Salem Town, Salem Village, uh, so he's a little farther west of here, a little more rural. I'd say the most west. Yeah. The Wilkins lived on the western edge. Yeah, as far as they could get to Middleton uh, between here and there. Uh, And they were a wealthy, slightly troubled family, but very independent, which I think is one of the key things here. Um, As we read through a lot of uh, the testimony and descriptions of the Wilkins clan is the term that keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. They're very independent. They're very self-supporting. They don't like to mix with outsiders. They have a very large, well-connected family. Yeah. And so they're out, way out in the end of Salem Village, and they're one of the proponents for the uh, independent church in Salem Village. Uh, They don't really marry outside of, I don't want to say their family. No. (laughs) Yeah, they don't marry outside of Salem Village. But Salem Village is pretty small, so they definitely (laughs) kept it a little in the family. But yeah, uh, Margaret is the first in their family to marry outside of Salem Village. Yes. And their line goes back like all the way to the beginning. So the patriarch of the family, Bray Wilkins Mm -hmm. is his name, is credited as the founder of Middleton. So Middleton, as you were saying, just to the very west, the western edge of Salem Village, it's now not even Danvers. It is Middleton. It's its own community. So I guess it's arguably even the farthest away you could get. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And did you know 
fun fact, that it's called Middleton because it was halfway between Salem and Andover. I did not. Which were two, you know, pretty major towns at the ah, time. So you have reached middle. the middle of. Yeah. Interesting. Cool, right? Now, there was definitely some tension between John Willard and his wife's family. She was, as I said, first person to marry outside the village. He was probably right off the bat seen as a bit of an outsider. Mm-hmm. Also, a- his job didn't help him at all. Yep. Um, and that comes into play significantly. As a land speculator. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, because it's a weird job. I, I had a really hard <laughs> time understanding it. Yeah. Uh, so you go out and you uh, cheat and steal the indigenous people uh, from out of their land. So you get 500 acres from them for, you know, some treaty that you're not going to honor, pay attention to or honor. And then you sell off that land in chunks of 50 acres. And make a profit. And make a profit. Um, and the Wilkins family had had some issues with their own land speculation. They had bought like 500 acres, uh, split the cost and tried to make a go of it. It didn't work out. And it didn't work out. And the courts had to step in. Effectively, they lost their mortgage and they had to lose a significant amount of their land. And there were there was follow on issues uh, with that. And so they have a bad taste in their mouth for land speculators and land speculation. I feel like a lot of sources paint the Wilkins family as kind of like a little spiteful. Like definitely they were not in their prime Mm -hmm. and had suffered a couple failed ventures in the years leading up to 1692. They were watching their land shrink with each generation. And again, they live on the far side, the Western side. Yes, they were very independent, but this also like put them furthest away from Salem town. Mm -hmm. So like any, any business dealings in Salem town, anything that's going on in the city center, it's a far journey for them to get to. And it probably made them very, uh, critical might be the word I'm looking for. Of like the city goers. Yeah. Yeah. Quote unquote. (laughs) Which we see, it's fairly yeah. even today, but you know, so many stories you can watch. I was watching, um, what's the, 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 the newest Yellowstone with Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. You know the one I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah. But so they have like the big ranch and every time they go into the city, they're like, oh, we have like these washing machines and these things. And they're all like, why, why, what's, why do you need washing machines? What, <laughs> what's, what's wrong with just hand washing your clothes? Yeah. There's like, that, that divide. Yeah. So we can see it. It's nothing new or, or unusual, but it's it's definitely there with the Wilkins family. For sure. And it's going to contribute to some of those negative, <laughs> you know, relationships yeah. among them. And again, very much big time supporters of the separate Salem Village Church mm-hmm. and Reverend Samuel Paris. Mm-hmm. And I guess after hearing all of this, it is no surprise that they are quite close with the Putnam family shocking both geographically (laughs) and socially yes they're they're buddy buddy with the putnams there i feel like they're carbon copies of the putnam family in some ways in some ways i feel like they're uh i feel like they're the wish version of (laughs) (laughs) that's great (laughs) that's really funny Oh, right? Yeah. I mean, some of the evidence speaks for itself on that one. Yep. Yeah. So perhaps that's why John Willard 
became a farmhand for mm-hmm. the Putnams when he first moved to Salem Village because there was that connection between the Wilkins and the Putnams. And the Wilkins definitely uh, had that uh, hard work uh, for God sort of mentality, the farming, you know, sowing the fields. That was that was the way, that was the right way, that was, that was, that was the forward way. And same thing with the Putnams. Yeah. So while there, working as that farmhand and Putnam Sr., enlisted his help in caring for her infant child, a baby girl named Sarah, who at this point was a couple months old. You guys just have the worst luck. I know. The name Sarah keeps, it just comes, (laughs) obviously with our job and the topic that we discuss, it comes up a lot. But Mm -hmm. I did crack the joke tonight for the first time ever. Like we were talking about not wanting to live back in 1692, like Odds are someone's going to be pointing the finger at you just because that's how it went. You're like Sarah. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. My name was not going to do me any favors whatsoever, but this poor little baby is not going to make it. Mm -hmm. Which is normal. We've talked about this dozens of times, which is unfortunate. That's the way the world was. Um, The Putnams had lost several children already. I will agree with you. Infant mortality rates were extremely low, but I feel like them, like their case was even more extreme. Like they were definitely above average. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the Putnams before. Um, they're kind of like some of the big bads in the whole story. First afflicted, first accusers. Mercy Lewis is a servant in their household. And Putnam senior is one of the only adults to join in with the afflicted girls. So they're definitely like heavily involved. And they would blame this death of their child on John Willard, both who, then and later when yeah, they give testimony against him. Who again him. is a slight outsider to the family friends. So of course they're already looking at him with a side eye. Yeah. So he's got these enemies in town, uh, and him like in his own backyard, his his wife's family, his in laws, his in laws closest. Yeah. Confidants. So he's not surrounded by friends. That's for sure. And this whole theme of like actual bodily harm, basically insinuating that he murdered their infant child. This is going to come up again in several different ways. So this is also interestingly not a a, a spectral. Yeah. It's real. It's something that they can see. Yeah. It wasn't. He sent my specter to kill the child. It was he killed the child. Which is a little different than a lot of these. I mean, to them, it's sort of similar within the vein of things, mm-hmm. but it's very different as as well. And we know it's so close to the trials. Yeah. Like, so I think the proximity of it. It's not like, oh, seven years ago, my kid died. Like, it's probably because you know so and so bewitched them. It's right. It's happening right mm-hmm. now. So we're jumping into 1692. Let's kind of recap where we're at in the timeline. So remember, the first arrests are issued on February 29th. Leap that, year. That was for Tichaba, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne, mm-hmm. all in, and of course, their first questioning yeah. held on March 1st in Salem Village Meeting House. So some of the other big names, Martha Corey is arrested on March 19th. Rebecca Nurse, March 23rd, Elizabeth Proctor, April 8th. And of course, there are several dozen people dispersed throughout these individuals. Yeah, yeah. So just tend to focus on the uh, executed. 
Right. Yeah. The big names. There have been tons of people who've been arrested. Yeah. We've got probably 50 to 60 people in in several different jails. And uh, he's helping out with that. Yes, he is. See, this is what makes him so interesting and so unique a case. Mm -hmm. He was a constable. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much, could you compare it to a police officer? Uh, In a way. I mean, sure. Or like a probation officer. Um, In a way. No. Uh, I I don't I don't think there really nope. is a, a modern because police can have arresting powers as well. But remember, so we have the sheriff, and he's sort of the the head guy, right? He's and, the guy, and then he can deputize effectively. If you've seen like Wild Wild West movies, yeah, there's like the one sheriff with the badge. He's like, I'm going to deputize all of you, and you're going to go out and bring in whoever. That's sort of what we have going on here. It's like a makeshift police officer. Yeah, yeah. So it's. Hey, you you now have the authority to go out and, and arrest people. Although his name's not on any of the actual warrants. I know. Yeah. I know. So that's another thing. I've been trying in this research, I was trying to figure out when exactly he walks away from his post because that's what that's what follows his story. Like yeah, that's such a don't... monumental moment in his timeline. Well, he gets deputized on March eighth. Okay, um, cool. So we got that date. Yeah. So he's like, so clearly they, they because what we have is that uh, February 29th date, March 1st, and uh, Abigail Williams, Betty Paris, and then we get that torrent of- Accusations. Uh, yeah. And clearly they're like, whoa. We need help. We need help. Yeah. And he is enlisted to help them. Yeah. So I wonder, so again, when you look at those documents, you usually do see- like, Likely he could have been used uh, to transport- or to watch or to care for, um, right? So you know they're they're bouncing between the jails. Yeah. So that someone has to accompany them. So right. maybe you're going to send. Uh, Usually they have that on the list too, though. But also we don't have all the documents, yeah. so we don't know exactly. So we don't. Bottom line is we don't know who exactly he was involved with arresting or transporting. We can't pinpoint his constable responsibilities to any specific victims yeah. or accused. But like imagine, so what ends up happening is he ends up walking away. and Sometime in April. Yeah. And we don't know, but, you know, there's some speculation. He might have had a conversation with Rebecca Nurse or if he was told to watch Dorothy Good. Imagine watching Rebecca Nurse be taken out of her sick bed, surrounded yeah. by her family, yeah. and removed from her home. Yeah. That would be jarring. And and some people were on board and he clearly wasn't. And that's also another reason why I think the the Wilkins family is all talking shit about him. Oh, I appre- I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah. That like he did seem to have some somewhat of a moral compass. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't match up. Yeah. I, all sorts of people can do all sorts of things, but I just don't, I just don't, I don't see it, but we'll get to that. Damn in-laws. <laughs> right. I tell you, if there's ever a story about monster in-laws, <laughs> it's this one. Yeah. So he walks away from his post as constable. And again, I'm going to quote historian Charles Upham. He described his change in heart like this. All he heard and saw, his sympathies became excited on their behalf, and he expressed in more or less unguarded terms his disapprobation of the proceedings. He seems to have considered all hands concerned in the business, accusers, accused, magistrates, and people as alike bewitched. 
So there is this quote that's been floating around in like all the sources, supposedly something that John Willard said around this time. They're all witches. Hang them all. Did you see that? Yes. So I saw two different interpretations of it. Literal. Like he said this at the beginning of his constable post Mm -hmm. and he's like totally hell bent on seeing these people brought to justice Mm -hmm. or more often I see it in a sarcastic way that once he realized how absurd these arrests were, he's like, they're all witches as in everyone, the magistrates, the, the, the girls, all of them just hang them all because what's the difference? You're hanging innocent people. So I imagine sitting at a bar and he's like, yeah, you can say that you can be like, they're all witches, hang them all. Right. Or you can be like, yeah, they're all witches, hang them all. Yeah. So I think, you know, I lean towards the sarcasm Mm -hmm. part of it, but, um, you know, it's hard to say what he actually meant or if he even said it to begin <laughs> with. You know, we, we're going off of that. That popped up in a, a bit of testimony during the actual trial. That's the only way, like reason we have the source for it. So who knows what he actually meant by it. But, yeah. but either way, he walked away. And of course, he finds himself accused. Which is a little weird. Why do you think? I think it's, I think it's no surprise at all. He gets himself in trouble trouble might be the wrong word how so he goes and talks oh to ann putnam jr yeah probably wasn't the best decision probably wasn't the best decision at all so she is of course the first one to point the finger at him yeah miss ann putnam jr uh niece to reverend paris living in the paris household so he goes and talks this little 12 year old likely to be like knock it off and also probably tried to talk to her parents and be yeah. like, you know me. I, <laughs> He must have known that wasn't going to go well. Remember, this is the same family that <sighs> blamed him for the death of their child. But if, if you've, and sort of when I was reading it and I, I sort of conceptualized, maybe he's like, he's like, oh my gosh, like we're doing the wrong thing here. Like this is, this is screwed up. And he's going to Putnam's, who he has a family relationship with. And like he's on the best terms with, but. It's, he's familiar with him and he goes and he's like, what are we doing here? Right? Like, like, is this really what we want to do? And I'm just making this up. There's uh-huh. no record. But then he talks to Ann Putnam and she's like, maybe you knock it off. Please. Please. <laughs> right? And then two days later, she's like, oh my gosh, the specter John Willard came and attacked me. He's threatening to cut my throat. And you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. She went harder. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that also speaks to his confidence and like obviously the charges are they have no merit whatsoever. <laughs> and he think like he probably doesn't think for a second that he'd actually be accused. Yeah. Like he was just on the He's law enforcement right? side yeah. of things. Yeah. Like I don't I bet he was stunned when the actual accusation was filed, like the legal form. Also pissed. Can you imagine? He's probably like that little Yep. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people thought that about her. (laughs) Oh. And Putnam Jr. So as his uh, name does start to float around, he immediately went to the family patriarch, Bray Mm -hmm. Wilkins, for some advice and asked specifically for him to pray with him. Bray was otherwise engaged at the time and promised to return and pray at a later date. Bad timing. Bad timing. Grand father-in-law's house and was like help me can we pray there's a situation he's like i'll get you later and a couple days after this 
they will both find themselves at a dinner party down in Boston. Yeah, it's election day, I mm-hmm. guess. So that's important, sure. And supposedly when John Willard entered the room, uh-huh. he looked at Bray with a very antagonizing look. Which, a, a quote, evil eye, like, according to Bray. Like this is the your your wife's grandfather. See, this to me of all the things sounded made up. Like no dude, way. he's probably just like But he go he goes and asks his, his grandfather for help or his grand uh, grandfather in law for help, right? The his wife's Okay, the, the, okay. The patriarch okay. of his wife's yeah. family. That's and things his, are serious. Like it's a serious situation. That's his security net. There's this thing and he goes and he's like, I'm asking for your help. I'm coming on bended knee. Can we pray Let together? Him down. And he doesn't give him the time of day. And he probably saw that as a measure of salvation, as a measure of help. If Bray Wilkins is going to stand up for him, then this then it doesn't matter, right? Then then it's fine. Okay, so maybe he did shoot him a little look. And he shoots him a little look. Little little side eye, little side evil yeah. eye. Yeah, yeah. And poor Bray, poor Bray Wilkins will come down almost immediately with a urinary issue that would last for weeks. Mm-hmm. Likely just a kidney infection or maybe a, a, a... UTI. Yeah. But the timing is very suspicious. Again, we don't just... I, his story is fascinating <laughs> because it's not just like after the fact spectral evidence yeah. that's provided. It's stuff that's going on right around the time of the trials. Like yeah. his story is so dynamic. And what's also interesting is... As he goes to this meeting in Boston, as he leaves uh, uh, Salem, another member of the Wilkins family is struck ill, terribly oh, ill. even Way worse than a urinary issue. Yeah. So one of John's nephews um, on his wife's side, Daniel Wilk- Wilkins, so it would have been Bray's grandchild. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 16 at the time. And um, it is described as a serious and mysterious illness. Yeah. No, no cause that they knew of. And uh, it was moving rapidly through his system. But the timing, he basically leaves Salem and Daniel gets sick. He gets to Boston and Bray gets sick. And when you reconcile these two stories, the similar, the what do you call it, the Link. Coincidence? Co- no, that's not the word. Coinky dink. Uh, sure, that's a better word. <laughs> the similar factor in each set of circumstances can be... Correlating? Sure. Okay. Can be correlated to Mr. Willard here. Yeah. And of course, remember, we have this rise in speculation of witches. We have this fear running rampant. There's all these things going on. So if you'd gotten sick like the year before... And while... They all are believing it. Remember, the Putnams are some of the biggest accusers. Yeah. This guy walked away and said, I'm not going to partake in this anymore. Like, So that triggers of course, the suspicion. Of course it would. Yeah. So he's now become slightly suspicious, and we have these illnesses going around, and people start to notice. And then, of course, there's Ann Putnam, who's just like throwing accusations like it's Yep, and those accusations are going to get him arrested. Yeah. So the arrest, so eventually, (laughs) eventually, so the arrest warrant is issued um, May tenth, right around the same time that George Burroughs was also to be apprehended. Mm -hmm. So just to put you in perspective on timing, 
But when they go to retrieve John Willard, he is not home. He has fled the coop. He's left. Bye. Gone. Oh, I so wish he could have gotten further. He just he keep didn't. going. He he. So keep I, going. I get what he did, but also like you could have done better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, different options. You're not. Maybe he wasn't the smartest tool in the shed. I don't know. <laughs> maybe he was just like a kind-hearted fool. Maybe right? he thought that he was going to make it out of this alive. I. Okay, so he gets arrested. Uh, what, a week later? Yeah, so also we should mention the constable responsible, <laughs> the constable <laughs> responsible for apprehending him is John Putnam Jr. Yeah. A Putnam. Yeah, who got deputized the same day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's just like. So they send the Putnam of out course to get Willard. They did. And uh, he searches all over uh, Wills Hill, which is. Right around where the, the Wilkins family yeah, is living. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he, it's not named for them. It's named for an, a Native American, um, indigenous individual. But they can't find him. Nope. They search the houses, search all the places. However, his relations and some friends did uh, inform John Putnam Jr., according to them, to the best of their knowledge, that he had fled Salem on May 12th. In response, a second warrant is issued, and that one is to circulate through the entire colony. It literally gives authority to anyone in the colony. To arrest him. To arrest him. It's like, damn, they want this guy. It's like dead or alive. One of those, like, it changes. You're like, yep. oh, like it's like wanted, dead or alive. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he's definitely wanted. Again, right up there with George Burroughs. George Burroughs, they went all the way up to Maine to grab him. Mm-hmm. Now... We mentioned that a great deal of the evidence presented against him is not happening years prior, but is happening right when all of this stuff is going down. Very similar to Sarah Good when she escaped her jail keepers the first night of her arrest and the specter is her specter is seen in the Gedney household. She shows up the next morning. She's got a cut on her. Was it arm or leg? Arm. Arm right where she was supposedly struck. Yeah. By Samuel Sibley. Well, while John Willard is at large, Mercy Lewis was asked to come to the Bray Wilkins home to see if she could see any specters uh, plaguing Bray Wilkins. Because remember, he's still dealing with his uh, his issue, issue yeah. his urinary issue. Um, she confirmed that John Willard's specter was sitting on top of Bray Wilkins' abdomen. And Bray would later claim that this ailment ceased once John Willard had shackles placed on him. Yeah, so uh, the re- I keep saying kidney because, like, you're going to get pains in your I sides. I have no idea. I'm not a doctor. I didn't, but I Googled it. <laughs> oh, nice. Good for <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> I was like, what's going to cause these oh, symptoms? Oh, so smart. Yeah, and so, like, a, uh, and there's blood in his urine as well. He mentions a couple Oh, my gosh, times. yeah. Don't listen to me. I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, and so, like, that can be UTI, but the pain in his stomach, which he describes in his belly, uh, and where he's saying the, the, the specter's sitting on him as he's laying. Could he have, like, kidney stones? Uh, either kidney stones or, or a kidney infection, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Ugh, to live back then. It's <laughs> a glorious time. Right. <laughs> Ugh, give the man some cranberry juice. Or is that for UTIs? I that's, that's for UTIs. That's for UTIs. Never I, mind. I Again. Yeah, Doctor Sarah, at your service. <laughs> Tell us, Doctor Sarah. Uh, this uh, is why you'd be a witch. You'd be killing everyone. Yes, uh, they'd come for you for help, and they'd all end up dead. Burn the witch, burn her. <laughs> uh. But okay, so 
not only is Bray experiencing his issues, but Daniel Wilkins, while John Willard is, you know, out and about uh, escaping capture, Daniel Wilkins is not nearly as lucky and his condition worsened to the point where he could not speak nor eat. A doctor was called and concluded that the boy's symptoms stemmed from witchcraft. Was and it Dr. Griggs? I bet it was Dr. Nye. You know, I didn't see any mention of no. who it was. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, mm. I, I felt like if it was Dr. Griggs, they would have they said, said it. But also at the same time, it it it, it was Dr. Griggs because he's obviously. Right. He's like the doctor. And he's also like, I don't know what that is. Must be witchcraft. witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the boy is ill. Have you suspected witches yet? Accurate. <laughs> that does very much sound like. Uh, like a Griggs diagnosis. <laughs> yes. Stem from witchcraft and there was nothing he could do. Yeah. Sounds like he's like, oh, shoot. Not another one. <laughs> there we go. Can't he's like, figure- I'm, I'm fully capable. My job must be witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, he can't figure it out. So he just says, I'm bewitched. Pay me my, yeah. my doctor's fee and I'll see you later. <laughs> well, poor Daniel dies on May 16th. Yeah. So while, again, before John is apprehended, his uncle Benjamin requested there be an inquest and 12 men reviewed the body. They claimed it was covered in bruises and pricks. When the body was turned over, blood ran from its nose or its mouth or both. They determined the death to be, quote, unnatural and by some cruel hands of witchcraft or diabolical art. Yeah, I have no idea what killed him. I do. It could have been anything. But like all the bruises and they're describing lots of holes. Like they said, like an awl, like a like a leather, but like stabbed, like multiple times i also wonder like how much of this is accurate you know and how much of it is exaggerated like did the guy have freckles on his back and they they, thought they were pricks like they they have a lot of when you look at a lot of these things like what did what do we know that they didn't know yeah right so as they describe these things a lot of times they are accurate they just don't know what they're talking about Mm -hmm. and so i look i'm like i have no idea what sort of anything happened to him well i think i can say i mean i'm again dr sarah dr sarah uh i was just gonna say just for my true crime binging that i like to partake in i feel like the blood running from the nose and mouth that's just like your like when you your body breaks down obviously like you just start it all just starts to pool Mm -hmm. so obviously if you turn and that might be part of the why the bruising the bruising that they see might have been just blood pooling because they said they turned him over and it was on his back so honestly if it's on his back it might have been little blood vessels the the, the holes but they could have looked like little little pricks almost like little who knows i also have never seen a dead body so i can't speak to that i don't know I think the the only thing that I could sort of vaguely come up with is if he'd taken a fall. Okay. Oh, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes kids fall and don't want to tell their parents. And and like badly, like out of a tree, into a tree, and like suffered like significant bruising, and maybe fell into a bush onto a rot and like several puncture wounds. Yeah. Of like varying sizes, and that's the only thing that I could like come up with. But his. And then if there's an infection, then that's going to run rampant and kill him real quick. Yeah, that's totally possible. Which is, again, that's the only thing that I'm like, "Mm, okay. But again, we don't know. We don't know. And we will never know. Is that Ann Putnam Jr. predicted his death. 
Did she really? Yeah. What'd she say? That he's going to die in like two days. Oh, I did not see that. Yeah. Yeah. You witch. Why didn't anyone just right? say They're right like, that? well, how did you know? Come on, Anne. Yeah. Or or I think it was uh, if. Or did she say that John Willard came to her and said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's his face? Daniel will be dead. Dead if you don't sign the book or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Or, or if you don't torment, whatever it was. I can't remember. But yeah, she was like, he's going to die. And then he did. And then, you know, that was, of course, John Willard. She fault. probably felt so empowered yeah. after that. Because the, the 12 year old said that the guy. And then he died. And she's uh, probably like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Anne. Oh, Anne. So poor John Willard. All of this is going on unbeknownst to him. He has no idea. He's out. In his homeland of Lancaster, likely. Um, actually, yes, he is there when he is, he's captured. Yeah. He still owns land out in that direction. And it's roughly about, he was about 40 miles away uh, from Salem. On a small little farm on the banks of the Nashua River. And where we went swimming, by the way. Is where we went swimming? Yeah. Oh, when we jumped off that yeah, bridge. Yeah, yeah. That was a very high bridge. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the Nashua River. Well, look at that. Yeah. Aww. It's a little farther. We were a little farther north than he was, but we probably we would have. Sw- he would have probably swam in that river. Probably, yeah. Swam in the same river as John Willard. There you go. Also, yeah. Anyways, that could go <laughs> into a long rabbit hole. I've read several sources that he was plowing a field when yeah. he was captured. Yeah, tilling with a hoe, which I think would just make an epic like moment in a movie. You could make a movie out of his story. Personally, in my opinion, oh, yeah. But this moment where um, John Putnam Jr. shows up—can you imagine that conversation? Like, here is a constable, an ex-constable, being arrested by a very close family friend. So it's fascinating because he doesn't know that there's this massive manhunt for him. He knows that like he's been accused, but he doesn't realize like the scope. The seriousness. Yeah. And like the death and all these other things. So he's he's fled. So I think he was fleeing to New York. I um, think he had hopes of, but he stopped. Yeah. So he stops to till his fields. And I'd seen somewhere, and I, I couldn't sort of back this up, that perhaps he he thought that if he plants the crops and then he comes back six months later, then he has produce. Right. He has food. He's and trying to be... Yeah, so he's going to gonna take, take a couple days, uh, till the field, and then bounce. Oh, John, there. you almost made it. <sighs> he's tilling the field. And he's, he looks up, and there's there's his buddy. Come to come to bring him in. I wonder. I just wish I could have been. I wish I could go and see that moment. Like, was there a scuffle? Was there harsh words exchanged? Did he try and run, or did he do like the, so you're here for I me? Don't th- I don't think, yeah, I was going to say, I think yeah. I could see him doing that. I don't think he would run. Can you imagine? Like, I, I picture it like a Western. It's like, yeah, you exactly. Me? Yes, sir. They're going to come right, quietly. Let's do this. <laughs> like, let me get some water first. You're right. Like, so, <laughs> you, know, you want to join me for a beer? <laughs> and they sit there and he's like, okay, John, it's time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. John. They're both named John. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John. Hey, John. <laughs> oh, poor John Willard. He almost made it. But alas, he is taken back to Salem. And this is also like, again, his story, the timeline at which this is all transpiring, 
not just with the coincidence of the death and like the turmoil of, Mm -hmm. of the Wilkins family, but also the greater stuff that's going on. So this is right around like while he is fleeing from custody, Governor Phipps and Increase Mather are arriving with the new charter in Boston. Oh my like, gosh. We're literally right May 14th. on 14th. Yeah, we are literally right on the the heels of the court of Oyer and Terminer. Things are happening. I didn't even Pressure is cooking. Yeah. Isn't oh. that crazy? So they arrive in Boston while he is at large. No, he doesn't Oh my gosh, he, he gets... has no idea. The serious. He gets back. He gets arrested. He's put in jail. And it's like, oh, yeah. Did you hear Governor Phipps is back? And it's like, what the shit? Yeah. Yeah. So he gets arrested on the 18th. Uh-huh. Um, the court of Orion Terminer isn't set up yet. Yeah. Uh, that won't come till a little bit after his first, first examination. But they examine him right away, same day. He's arrested, brought to Salem Village, and brought before the magistrates. And who was recording that? examination uh mr reverend samuel paris i'm oh, sure he I, I was gonna say felt uh, real good about that uh, you gonna say ezekiel yeah I was gonna funny ezekiel, <laughs> ezekiel shiver it's one of the best names <laughs> oh if i ever get another cat i think i might ezekiel. name him ezekiel it's good so Oh, this examination, man. I don't even know. Where do you want to begin? It's so good. Well, I think we should begin with the fact that you get to finally get the, (laughs) you get to play the, uh, the victim card in this one. I think we should start with the first line. The fact that, uh, the first actual recording in this testimony, in this description is all the afflicted in most miserable fits when he came in, except John Indian. When the warrant was read, he looked upon several and they fell into fits. So it's already like we're already establishing chaos in the meeting house. Yeah. And we're going to see the same names as referenced many times before. Mercy Lewis, Abigail Williams, Mary Walcott, Susanna Sheldon, Ann Putnam Jr. and Sr. and Elizabeth Hubbard. These are the main first accusing yeah. girls. It should also be noted, uh, which comes next right here, um, that they tell him that his fleeing is an admission of guilt. So to their eyes, he's admitted that he's a witch. Yep. They just need him to say it. It's not like, it's, which is very different than a lot of these other scenarios. Like, are you, why you heard they did it? They're like, we already know you're a witch. You ran. You're already guilty. Just tell us. Which is so frustrating. Cause like, what would you do? Obviously you're going to run. Yeah. Like you, you were on the other side of this. You knew you, you've seen how it's been going. So where do we want to jump in on the examination? Hmm. All right. What do you say? Why do you hurt them? It is you or your appearance? I know nothing of appearance. Was this the man? Several said yes. They charge you. It is you and your appearance. I know nothing of appearance and the God of heaven will clear me. Well, they charge you, and not only with this, but with dreadful murders. And I doubt not, if you be guilty, God will not suffer evidences to be wanting. Elizabeth Hubbard then testified against him, and he looked upon her, and she fell into a fit. Then Mercy Lewis's testimony was read, If you desire mercy from God, then confess and give glory to God. Sirs, as for the sins I am guilty of, if the minister asks me, I am ready to confess. 
If you have thus revolted from God, you are a dreadful sinner. Mary Warren cried out, Oh, he bites me. Open your mouth. Don't bite your lips. I will stand with my mouth open, or I will keep it shut. I will stand anyhow if you will tell me how. So basically saying, I'll do whatever you say. Yeah. Tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Because I'm I'm not bewitching them. Yeah. So we're also getting into like the stand here, look at them, touch them, don't touch them, say this thing. We've got the touch test going on. We've got the John Alden thing hasn't happened yet, right? No. I can't remember. I don't know. He leaves pretty early on, I think. Yeah. Maybe it already has. Expand on the John Alden thing. He's he's like visiting Salem. He's like doing the 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 gun trade thing, and he pops into Salem, uh-huh. and they just drag him up to the stand, basically. And they're like, "Look at the girls!" And so they tell him to stand with his arms slack at his side and to look at the girls. And when he casts his eyes upon them, they all break into fits. And then he turns and looks at. It might be Gedney. Mm-hmm. Like like, mm-hmm. he's like, and he looks at him the same way he's looking at the girls, and he's like, "What?" Why oh, I it, love that. Why so isn't this much. working for you? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> Go, John Alden. Yeah, he's distinctly like being like, if this is what you think I'm doing to them. Why can't I do it to this yeah, person? Yeah. Well, you know what they would say? Is you're just trying to fool us uh, I, with I your th- witchery. I think the actual response was something along the lines of uh uh, you can't hurt us because we're put here by God. Oh, God. Such. No, they put themselves on pedestals. Yeah. Love it. They were divine. God. They were they were the, the, the acolytes of God. So, of course, he couldn't hurt them, which actually then brings up an interesting uh, concept is that because it's I, if I screw some of this up, I apologize. I apologize. I apologize because the witches couldn't hurt the powerful men in the community. They were going after. The women, like the wives, the, yeah. the daughters, anyone yeah. connected to them. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't go after the minister. You go after it's his daughter and yeah. his niece. Right. I think we brought that up earlier. Ugh. Anyway. Yes. So these girls, they're doing their normal thing. Yep. Acting wild in the, the meeting house. I have to bring up Susanna Sheldon's testimony real quick during this because, um, It was very in line with, remember our jokes about Giles Corey? Oh, this is over a year ago about his, uh, the turtle familiars, the turtles (laughs) on the nipples. Well, we got to put, we got to put John Willard right next to him (laughs) with two black pigs Mm -hmm. because he's got two black pigs suckling at his breasts, according to Susanna Sheldon. I mean, they both sound horrible, but I feel like to me, a turtle's like, and pigs are like <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who can't see it's I'm very small a- to very large <laughs> i don't know there's some big turtles out there and there's some teacup tea pigs, tea yeah. pigs. Yeah. so you imagine black pigs though like maybe oh. they're looking for truffles or something <laughs> i don't know bizarre so a lot of a lot of testimony given similar to you know previous accused and and throughout this there's like various people's testimony but then there's also various people screaming or hurting. John Indian screams out. Uh, Abigail Williams screams out. Like, he hurts me. He stabbed me. She won't go. And you're like, was this Susanna Shelton also said, there's a black man whispering in his ear. And so, like, in and woven throughout his testimony, there's all these just other things. Can you, he must have been so frustrated. Yeah. Like, I'm just trying to God, I give like, you what you want, tell you the truth. And I have all this to contend with. Like, don't get me wrong. I 
killing children is not really okay. No, no, it's not, Jeffrey. Can you imagine sitting up there and like this like little kid is like, oh, I see a black man whispering in his ear. And you're like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, knock it off. There's not. And everyone in the room is like, oh, I believe her. I'd be like, I want like all and of them. I believe a bunch of children over you. I, I would be so mad. Like, oh, yeah. Now, he already looks guilty as it is. They He already is guilty. You're right, because he fled. Yeah. There's one more nail in the coffin that comes at the end of his examination that really, really solidifies him as a witch in their eyes. And parallel to George Burroughs, he recites the Lord's Prayer yeah. at his execution. Well, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. George yeah. Burroughs does. Yeah. Remember, a, a witch cannot recite the Lord's Prayer, and he does it no problem. John Willard has a... Has a bit of an issue. Bit of a problem. So this is towards the end of the examination. Can you pray the Lord's Prayer? Yes. Let us hear you. He stumbled at the threshold and said, Maker of heaven and earth. He began again and missed. It, it's a strange thing. I can say it another time. I think I am bewitched as well as they. There's a note here that he actually laughs yeah. as he says it. <laughs> so it's like, I think... Oh, it's like which is they. <laughs> it's so cringy. I can feel the cringe yeah. through time. Again, he began and said, "Trespass against and missed us." He began again and cried, being puzzled. Well, th- this is a strange thing. I cannot say it. He began again and could not say it. Well, it it is these wicked ones that do so overcome me. I am as innocent as the child unborn. Do not you see God will not suffer you to pray to him? Are not you sensible of it? Why, it is a strange thing. No, it is no strange that God will not suffer a wizard to pray to him. There is also the jury of inquest for murder that will bear hard against you. Therefore, confess, have you never wished harm to your neighbors? Never since I had a being. Well, confess and give glory to God. Take counsel. I desire to hearken to all good counsel. If it was the last time I was to speak, I am innocent. So those are his like final words. Obviously, we don't have the court documents. His mm-hmm. court case will proceed at the beginning of August. Uh, but these documents from his original examination, these are kind of his final words that we have. And he says, if this is the last time I'm going to speak, I am innocent, and he will maintain this innocence until the very end. Do you want to read some depositions? Sure thing. So after he's arrested, they call for witnesses. They take down some of these depositions, and those testimonies continue between Mm -hmm. the first examination and his trial in early August. So we have numerous accounts, tons of evidence brought up against him. Um. I think I'm going to touch on uh, Bray Wilkins here. Hit me. So obviously Bray Wilkins, Patriarch of the Family, we've covered all that. And this is uh, his testimony. So there's a lot here. So I'm just going to jump in. Uh, he talked a little bit about, about the praying thing. Uh, so I'm just going to jump in there. Whether my not answer his desire, but I heard no more of him upon that account. Whether my answering his desire did not offend him, I cannot tell. But I was jealous afterwards that it did. 
a little after my wife and I went to Boston at the last election, when I was as well in health as many years before, and the election day come, and my brother, uh, mm, Lieutenant, maybe, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, Richard Way's house at noon, there were many friends to dine there. They were sat down at the table, Mr. Lawson, and his wife, and several more. John Willard came in the house with my son, Henry Wilkins, before I sat down, and said Willard, to my apprehension, looked after such a sort upon me as I had never before discerned in any. I did but step in the next room, and I was presently taken in a strange condition, so that I could not dine, nor eat anything. I cannot express the misery I was in, for my water was suddenly stopped, and I had no benefit of nature. But I was like... <laughs> what a way to describe it. Right? But I was like a man on a rack, and I told my wife immediately that I was afraid that Willard had done me wrong, and my pain continuing and finding no relief, my jealous continued mr lawson and others were there and all amazed and knew not what to do for me there was a woman accounted skillful came hoping to help me and after she had used means she asked me whether none of those evil persons had done me damage i said i could not say but they had damn doctors <laughs> but i was so afraid they had and she answered she did fear so too and near as I remember, I lay in this case for three or four days at Boston. And afterwards, with the jeopardy of my life, I came home. And then some of my friends coming to see me, one of the inflicted persons, Mercy Lewis, came in with them. And they asked whether she saw anything. And she said, yes. They are looking for John Willard. But he is here, upon his grandfather's belly. In the words of Bray himself. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it sounds like the guy is legitimately convinced that he yeah. is being tormented by his, uh, what would it be, his daughter's husband? Granddaughter. His grandson-in-law. But he's like, we went to dinner, everything was fine, I was in great health, and he came, and this is testimony, and it's it's there. He's like, and then... And he's a well-respected member of the community. Yeah. Like, they're going to take him at his word. Yeah. I also want to touch on... Uh, Anne Putnam Sr.'s account, just very briefly. She, we again mentioned how John Willard would be blamed for a lot of physical attacks, mm -hmm. not just spectral, but like actual murders. She claims that the apparition of John Willard told her that he had killed Samuel Fuller, Linda Wilkins, Goody Shaw, Fuller's second wife, Aaron Ways's child, Ben Fuller's child, and her own child. That's a long list. We're dealing with a serial killer here. So she just came up with like 10 people who died in the past couple years and just... Just laid them out. Damn. And blamed John for all of them. It's ridiculous. <sighs> so the list of uh, accusers just grows and grows. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Bibber, Elizabeth Booth... Lydia Nichols, Lydia Nichols actually claimed that when John was living in Groton and his wife Margaret was staying with her father in Salem Village, that Margaret disclosed to her that John had beaten her. Quote, she thought herself that she should never recover of the blows he had given her. The next morning, she claimed he had retreated to, quote, a little hole under the stairs, like, what are we having a Harry Potter moment here? Uh, he ran, according to her, he ran out the door in a most unnatural way. So a very bizarre 
moment that she experienced and supposedly told Lydia Nichols about this. This whole spousal abuse thing. So we haven't talked about this yet. That's a a big point of contention in the courtroom. Yeah. So this is what I sort of shadily brought up a couple times. Um, His wife's family, there's like 10 of them who testify. And many of them say that he would beat her. And that he had even talked about beating her. Someone said that they they had overheard him speak about it. And that she had recounted to multiple family members that he had beaten her. And that they had seen the the marks and the scars and the bruises. Uh, Which is brought up to him in the courtroom. And he says, then question her. Bring my wife up. He literally says, bring her up. And no one ever did. It's just the testimony of her brothers and cousins. Which I always wondered, like. I don't. And like I said before, I don't I don't buy it. I think she was being held back. Yeah. By her family. Yeah. Um, I think she married outside of the family or outside of, you know, and they didn't like her for that. They didn't like him for that. They wanted to get rid of him. And that was an easy way to do it. He seems like a decent person. Uh, that uh, moral compass changed with with the arresting powers and, and, and who he has to deal with. And he's like, I'm walking away from this. Um seem to indicate that he's not that kind of person. He's a nice guy. Um, but this is also back in the 1690s when so beating your wife was, was okay. pretty standard. Yeah. So he could have done both, and that is 100% possible. Um, but we don't know. But we, what we do know is it's used against him in the yeah. courtroom. And she doesn't say as much. It's up to her brothers and her family. She says nothing. She says nothing. And she also tries to get him out of jail. Yeah. She tries to save him. Um, which again, that doesn't necessarily mean he, he never hit her. But I think it does speak to her desire to yeah. save him yeah. in, in light of all the testimony given yeah. by her family. And, and I can very easily see that she, and again, we don't know, that she does love him, that, that she believes he's innocent, that, and then she sees her whole family like coming out against the guy. And that's, that's like a story trope 101, you know? Oh, family dinners after that would be so yeah. awkward. Yeah. Sad. Three children lost their father because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to touch on two other depositions real quick. Ooh, are we head into the Baileys. Uh, no, I just want to do Ann Putnam Jr. Her little bit here at the end. Cause we talked about the the uh, Daniel Wilkes thing. Oh yes. Um, oh Ann. Right. He almost choked me to death, threatening to kill me if I would not write in his book. For he told me he had whipped my little sister Sarah to death, and he would whip me to death if I did not write in his book. But I told him I would not write in his book. After this, I saw the apparition of my little sister Sarah, who died when she was about six weeks old, crying out for vengeance against John Willard. I also saw the apparition of a woman in a winding sheet, could be a wedding sheet, not sure, which he told me she was John Wilkins' first wife, that John Willard had a hand in her death, and I began crying. Also, I being carried to Will's Hill on the 15th of May in the evening to see the afflicted persons. There I saw the apparition of John Willard afflicting his grandfather Wilkins and Daniel Wilkins and Rebecca Wilkins, and he also told me that he would kill Daniel Wilkins if he could, but he had not the power yet to kill him, but he would go to Mr. Burroughs and get it. To kill Daniel Wilkins. Oh, wow. Anne has a lot to say. <laughs> Anne is spinning 
details <laughs> with so much detail and like conspiracy. Right. Like we have the conspiracy laid out for yeah. us right here. Yeah. yeah. And the other one I like, and this is just because it's it's Groton centric. Uh, so this is from uh, Thomas Bailey. Uh, that I being in Groton, some short time after John Willard, as the report went, had beaten his wife, and I went to call him, and coming home with him that night, I heard such a hideous noise of a strange creature, I was much afraid. I had never heard the like's noise, fearing they might be some evil spirits. I inquired of Willard what it might be that made such a hideous noise. They said, Willard, that they were just locusts. He goes on a little bit, and uh, he's riding this horse uh, between Groton Mill and Chelmsford, and uh, he dismounts the horse, and he hears the sound again. I've spent... Is it crickets? Well, they say locusts, and it might yeah. be locusts. Locusts sound a little weird sometimes. I, I've spent some time in the woods in Groton. Do you know what a fisher cat is? No. no. Is it a cat? It's no. No, it's... Is it uh, a fish? No. It's a weird, I guess, like, fox-like creature is probably a little better. Um, is that what you think the noise is? A hundred and ten percent. I just have a quick clip here to, to play what a fisher cat sounds like. Okay, put it up to the mic so they can hear it too. They are terrifying. Ooh. Do you have a video to go with those or just... Because he did not like being in that isolation ward in a cage. He would scream and scream and scream. <laughs> oh my God. Blood curdling. Yeah. Dude. Turn. <laughs> Turn. Oh my God. I'm telling you, when you're standing outside, I want to add that to one of the buttons. <laughs> and you hear Fisher Cat just like going off. You're like, the oh, shit. And that you know is what it like. So even weird. Yeah. And again, I don't know. That could be like a witch screeching in the woods easily. That it sounds like someone's getting murdered. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. but it, the, the, I loved it because I read it. I was like, I was walking through the woods in Grotty, and I was like, "Hey, I've been there. I've done that. I've done that. I've. <laughs> I know what you're talking I, I about. What that is. Uh, if only you were there, Jeffrey, to explain it <laughs> oh, all. Salvation of John Willard. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So there we go. That's all I got. I just, I just wanted to throw that in there. Oh, that's great. That's so great. Yeah. So a lot of testimony, of course, testimony that we can explain away mm -hmm. as we can usually do for a lot of these uh, instances, but also a lot of stuff in this case that you can't explain away. Yeah. And they were all convinced that, you know, John Willard was behind these deaths, these recent attacks like, and cause, deaths. Because Sarah Putnam did die and uh, Bray Wilkins was sick. And, and Daniel Wilkins did die. Yeah. And... There's just too much. Yeah. He, I don't think he stood a chance. Mm. And the big bads in his story are his freaking in-laws, which, again, I'm never going to wrap my head around. It makes the story so much juicier. It's perfect, though. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's this quintessential, the daughter marries outside the family, falls in love with the the guy and they use him as uh yeah as the patsy to, to rid themselves of this thing and they disdain him because of their cultural values and she's trying to better you know like it's literally like boom can't make this shit up <laughs> you need to make a movie of it yeah maybe then people will know more about john willard willard they will remember his name i'll just yeah. call it willard yeah 
Maybe I'll name my cat Willard. Ezekiel and Willard. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, where does that bring us now? So we did mention that his wife. Yes. Files a temporary release from prison for John and she actually gets it. So I think like this speaks to his reputation. And, and And she gets, she takes several steps. She yep. like leaves her house, gets a horse, gets to Boston, gets it signed, gets it done. And unfortunately, the papers did not arrive in time. The release was secured on August 17th. And of course, he is hanged just two days later on August 19th, which I think is oh, just makes this story even more excruciating yeah. at the end. Like he was almost he almost made it. Which I think, again, adds to that measure of if she's going to these lengths to save him. I think it's her family that's just making shit up. I would agree with you. Now, I've got to thank the Salem Witch Museum for this little tidbit. Um, Actually, they helped out a lot in the research. There is a letter written by Thomas Brattle that describes that day of executions. So remember, we've got some big names alongside John Willard, George Burroughs, John Proctor, George Jacobs and Martha Carrier, king and queen of hell. Mm -hmm. This is what he writes. As to the late executions, I shall only tell you that in the opinion of many unprejudiced, considerate and considerable spectators, some of the condemned went out of this world not only with as great protestations, but also with as good shows of innocency as men could do especially Proctor and Willard, whose whole management of themselves from the jail to the gallows and whilst at the gallows was very affecting and melting to the hearts of some considerable spectators. So all of them will uh, maintain innocence until the end. That would have been someday. Bullshit. And I'm sure all the Wilkins made their way Mm -hmm. to Salem Town to see this through. Remember, everyone here is also witnessing Reverend Burroughs say the Lord's Prayer and having Cotton Mather there, who's the only execution he attends. Oh, that was the, like, that's probably arguably one of the biggest ones. And then Martha Carrier, the Queen of Hell, survives the smallpox. I can't wait to do her. Her, We're going to do her next year? Yeah. 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 Well, that one's going to be a two parter. (laughs) Her whole family. (laughs) Ah, this ain't bad. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I'll take your word for he it. He just pointed at the clock. <laughs> We're doing good. This is a great episode, in my opinion. I'm I'm not arguing that. This is, <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, John Willard again, a sleeper. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I always knew he had something. You know, he was obviously an interesting story because he's a constable at first. He's on the bad side, quote unquote, and then he decides to take a stand against it all and walks away from his job, risking his own life. Yeah. Probably unknowingly, too. Like, Yeah, you probably didn't think that it would turn around. Like that. You would think, though, dude, like if you're watching it get turned on all these people, come on. Like, don't, that, don't. <laughs> that's why I kind of feel like he's a bit of a, what did I say, fool earlier? Aw. You know, like. Maybe he's just thinking too highly like of his, life. An innocent party, right? He's like, oh, gosh, I can go to Putnam's. I can, I can set them straight. Right. Yeah, we can talk if, this out. If it's I just talk fine. to Ann Putnam Jr., maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just. <laughs> no, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, John. Yeah, I, I feel like there's like a like a do-good streak in him. And it just, he ends up dead because of it. 
Well, I hope that all of our listeners will now pay slightly more attention as they round that back right yeah. corner of the Salem Witch Trials Memorial. Um, you will see his name right the along. Back right. Back right. Right alongside Giles Corey. Mm-hmm. So don't just go right to Giles. John Willard's important too. Yeah. Yeah. Arguably more important because he didn't beat a disabled kid to death. So yeah, there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> there you go. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. <laughs> Uh, One last thing I do want to mention about his uh, final resolution. Remember that committee gets formed in uh, 1710 Mm -hmm. to deal with uh, review restitution requests Mm -hmm. and uh, exoneration requests from these families. If you listened just a couple weeks ago, we talked about that with um, Sarah Good and her and and her husband. Yeah. yeah. Yep. William files for uh, Sarah. Dorothy and Mercy. I think it's a good chunk of change for yeah, 30, it. 30 pounds. I don't know who files for John because I don't think, did you see the document no. in there? No. I don't think the document I was exists. thinking it might have been Margaret, his wife. It would make sense that it yeah, was her. Or maybe one of his kids. Right. Remember, this comes almost two decades after the yeah, trials yeah. ended. But he will be, his name will be cleared of those charges, which makes sense because mm-hmm. if he was a, from at least married into a somewhat prominent family. Margaret is still part of a prominent family. Like you're going to want to get that name cleared and those charges off the record and whatever money compensation you can get for it. So. (laughs) Oh, I don't, I have no evidence to support my sudden theory. Is that it could have been any any member of the Wilkes clan because they just all oh, those bastards. They just wanted the money. Yeah, Be- and they're they're he's technically family. Yeah. Oh, that's disgusting <laughs> to think about. But I you, hope that wasn't the case. No, but you know it's he possible. Had three, it's possible, but he yeah, had three children, yeah. so I think it'd be much more likely more that likely, it would be them. Yeah. But it's not Sorry. impossible. <laughs> it, just, it just hit me and I was like, oh, that's horrible. Watch, we're going to have one day Wilkins' <laughs> descendants listening to this and they're going to throw shade at us. Oh, maybe their great, 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 great grandparents deserved it. Yeah, you guys weren't the best people. Yeah, sorry. You can do better. We're all doing better. That's that's the point. But yeah, I think that's just about it for Mr. John Willard. John Willard, the guy that no one thought of. But I hope you all enjoyed listening to his story. So thanks for listening. See you later.